With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. It is Friday, February 5th. And the Cardinals just keep giving us topics. Cardinals just keep making moves and giving us things to talk about here on the show. So glad to have you along for the ride for what should be another fun episode. As last night, before I had been able to tweet out the podcast from yesterday, which if you missed it, it's centered around Colton Wong, Yadier Molina, some Matt Carpenter in there, all stemming from a tweet reply that I had yesterday after the Wong signing with the Brewers had been reported. So, kind of talked about what I believe led to the end of Wong's time in St. Louis. There's a lot of factors at play. Understand why it happened. But, at the end of the day, in my mind, doesn't make it any less of a disappointment. Some people didn't agree with that, though. So, it was an interesting conversation, I think, yesterday. But today, we've got a new topic to talk about, and that's Really, another eulogy on yet another departing player for the St. Louis Cardinals as last night news broke and the Cardinals confirmed it shortly after with a press release that Dexter Fowler had been traded to the Los Angeles Angels. And so that's a shakeup that I don't think, you know, there were some people that were on this that were saying, hey, the Cardinals would like to try and dump some salary maybe, wonder if they could trade in the two obvious names that would come up, Carpenter or Fowler. Once Wong signed with the Brewers, I really don't see any benefit to them trading away Matt Carpenter because I think for as much as the last two years haven't been very good for him, the upside to me is still there. And if you're going to be paying him anyway, which even though the Cardinals traded Fowler yesterday, they're not off the hook for the salary. They're basically clearing a roster spot, clearing a 40-man spot, and clearing a space in their outfield to be able to either give some time, some additional playing time to some of the younger guys that they want to give looks to in that outfield group, and we'll talk about those names here coming up, or they're going to make a move for an outfielder, and this makes it a lot easier to save a little bit of money on Fowler's salary, but end up paying the bulk of it to ship him off and give him a chance at playing time somewhere else. I believe the report that I saw listed the Cardinals being on the hook for $12.75 or $12.5 million dollars of the 2021 salary for Dexter Fowler, and they're basically saving like $1.75 million by shipping him off. And I think they're going to potentially get a player to be named later at some point in this deal. It's not going to be anybody substantial, I wouldn't think. And ultimately, it, it may just be a straight-up salary dump because from what I saw of the Cardinals' press release, it listed it as a player to be named later or cash. Well, from the Angels, we found out the cash was actually going to the Angels. It wasn't going from the Angels to the Cardinals. So Cardinals aren't getting cash back for Fowler. They are sending cash with him in exchange for presumably something. But Angels getting $12.75 million. Cardinals essentially are saving $1.75. And so my point there is if you're already paying Matt Carpenter 
and you're not getting Colton Wong back because he's already signed, I'd rather just have Carpenter as an option off the bench. Now, you have to trust the staff and Mike Schilt, if Carpenter is not performing, to go ahead and leave him as a bench player instead of trying to force him into the starting second base role or if you see you know the designated hitter come about into that role if he's not performing, which I don't necessarily think is going to be a big problem with regard to second base because Mike Schilt is a big Tommy Edmond fan. I think that's been clear in how frequently you know he's ridden him and has put him into the lineup, especially toward the top of the order, as we've seen many times. And that's not to say that's a bad thing. Tommy Edmond's a good player and certainly is a guy that has earned the trust of Mike Schilt. And so, uh, you know, Carpenter certainly is someone as well that they've tried to give every opportunity to in order to get him back to where he had been in 2018 and prior. But at this point, it's kind of questionable whether that's going to happen. And I think Mike Schilt, if it's if, if the writing remains on the wall as it is currently written, that Carpenter is not what he once was and, and you know is destined for a different role with this team, I think you can trust Mike Schilt to be able to react and adjust accordingly to what his previous perceptions of the player were to recognize that while he's a veteran leader and can still contribute to this team, Tommy Edmond may need to be the guy that gets the everyday run at second base unless Carpenter shows consistent signs of being back to the player that he once was. And whether that's because he finally gets healthy or confidence or the pressure is relieved because he's no longer got to be the guy in this lineup. You've got a Goldschmidt, you've got an Arenado, you've got other players that can pick up that slack. And so maybe Carpenter is able to unlock something within himself and have a better season. For that reason and for the reason that the precedent of what these trades are, given what the return or lack of return is for the Fowler trade, given all that, I say you might as well just keep Carpenter around and trust that Mike Schilt is going to deploy him in the best possible fashion for the betterment of the team. Now, when it comes to Fowler going to Los Angeles, interesting landing spot for him because he reunites with Joe Madden, who, of course, was his manager with the Chicago Cubs when they won that World Series in 2016. Fowler was an integral part of that club. And you you remember back to that time watching him in the postseason it was clear he was having the most fun he's ever had playing baseball and obviously cherished that group that he was involved in. And some Cardinals fans are making asinine comments like, oh, he was never really a Cardinal. He always wanted to be a Cub. That's not true. Uh, You know, that's just a dumb thing to say, but it's out there. I've seen it in some screenshots and some posts on social media. But I think it's a good fit for Fowler. But I, I, I also don't think you can just discount the fact that Fowler after that terrible 2018 season that he had where, you know, he obviously, him and Mike Matheny were not on the same page about a lot of things and getting Mike Shilton there, I think was a good thing for Dex. Dex had a lot of other things going on that he's been very open about things that he's dealt with like depression during that season. But I don't know that he gets maybe enough credit for the bounce back that he's had since, because you look at his numbers in 2019 and I mean, it was just, you know, right around league average. He wasn't tremendous or anything. I think, according to baseball reference, he was exactly league average for his position. OPS plus was right at 100. OPS of 754. Batting average went from a paltry 180 to 238. So it's not where he once had been previously in his career when he was, you know, a leadoff type hitter. A, a, a table setter. And that's the kind of guy the Cardinals expected him to be when they signed him originally. 
right? They gave him the five-year deal, $82.5 million, right off that World Series championship. And at the time, we thought he could be the leadoff man. But he had a good season in 2017. It just wasn't the kind of season I think a lot of people anticipated. You know, the, the batting average was a little lower than the previous year. The, the on-base percentage was a little lower than the previous year. But the slugging percentage, looking over this real quickly, I believe was a career high for him in 2017. Career high, 18 homers, 64 runs batted in at the time in 2017. So he became more of a middle-of-the-lineup guy, and that was when Matt Carpenter really it was like, okay, this leadoff thing is going to stick for him. That's just going to be what he does for a while. Index actually ended up being more of a an RBI producer for that team in 2017. But then 2018 happened. 2019, though, is where you know he wasn't back to his 2017 numbers in 2019. But the fact that he was able to kind of shake off the stink of 2018, return to being a, a solid major league contributor, league average guy, I thought was was pretty impressive. And then, honestly, he was building on that last year in 2020. He was better than, than that even. Had a, an OPS right around 780 before, unfortunately, he had to hit the injured list because of the fact that he was taking that medication for the stomach issue that he had, something he had had previously in his career. But if not for COVID, we never really would have heard about it. It would have just been something he would have tried to play through. But because of the COVID environment, Fowler had to go home. It was on the re- recommendation of the team doctors. They said, you know, if this is a, a medication that you're taking that's going to compromise the immune system, it, it just, it, you know, everybody felt it best that you just go take two weeks, try to get that situation better, and then return to the team. And that was the right call. It's just really unfortunate for the timing of the season because you only played 58 games to begin with, and Dexter missing two of those weeks approximately comes back after really just not having – a baseball environment to stay sharp within and his numbers tanked for the end of the year, the last 10 games or so he didn't really produce very much, but because that ends up being like one fifth or one sixth of his season, that little stretch at the end, it tanked his OPS from like 780 all the way down to 706. So you look at the end of the season numbers last year for Dexter, not a whole lot jumps out at you, but if you look a little bit deeper and describe it the way we just did here, okay, after that terrible 2018 He bounced back and was productive again in 2019, and then he had a chance to even be better than that in 2020, back close to the Dexter Fowler of old, when really you look at throughout his career, I'm just going to rattle off some OPS numbers, 770, 757, 796, 863, 776, 774, and then had the big 840 year before he came to the Cardinals, and then he was 851 OPS-wise that first season, and so... First season in St. Louis, I should say. And so he's been that kind of consistent, slightly above average offensive contributor throughout his career, has a career OPS plus of 105. And last year he would have, I think, been even higher than 105. But because he was totally not in baseball shape at the end, and you can't fault a guy for wanting to get back into the mix, you know, you could say, well, the Cardinals could have recognized that and maybe eased off of him a little bit down the stretch. But if, I mean, this was a postseason team, and if Dexter Fowler is contributing the way he was earlier in the year, you want that guy available and, and sharp in your postseason lineup. Unfortunately, he, he just really never found that back, found his stroke, found his rhythm, and the season ended the way it did. I kind of do wonder if that doesn't go that way, if we're looking at a different situation here. Perhaps not, 
Because if what the Cardinals really wanted to do was play the younger outfielders, like let's say for the sake of argument, they're not planning to go out and get somebody else. They're not looking at Jackie Bradley. They're not looking at Marcelo Zuna, which I'm going to go on the record about Marcelo Zuna here in a minute. Try not to let me forget, as though you can respond to me right now during the podcast. But they could go after one of these guys, but let's assume they're not going to do that in that their plan, as was kind of indicated in the press release when they said this should open up more time for Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Lane Thomas, and I believe Justin Williams, who is on the 40-man roster, was mentioned in that press release as well by name. So those are your five outfielders. Tommy Edmond, again, that's going to be a debate between he and Matt Carpenter at second. Will Edmond see some outfield time when Carpenter starts at second base, assuming that's the plan for Carpenter? Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. But even if that's the case, without Fowler, you still have six names if you're counting Justin Williams among that, which the Cardinals did. So for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to right now as well. Williams, of course, came over in the Tommy Edmond trade a couple of years ago. I believe that was July 2018, along with Henesis Cabrera, unless I'm conflating some different trades, but I think that's right. And hasn't really gotten an opportunity had an incident one winter where he broke his hand. I believe that was right after the Cardinals acquired him um, and wasn't able to really be on the same schedule as everybody else coming into spring training. Cardinals really still liked the guy, but they just didn't get a, a good look at him as far as what the coaching staff was able to evaluate because they traded for him at the end, or not the end, but middle of the 2018 season. And so he played some games in the minors and had some decent numbers down the stretch. But then coming into 2019, he wasn't really healthy for spring training, so they didn't get to look at him, particularly the Major League staff. And then 2020, that was really his first chance to to make an impression at spring training. But then, of course, it got cut short due to COVID. And so Justin Williams, though he's been around the organization for several years right now, I feel like the feeling from the front office and the organization, the Major League coaching staff, is that they really haven't gotten as good of a look at him as you normally would have been able to have for a guy that's been in the organization since July 2018. So they're going to give him a long leash, I would imagine, during spring training to because they just want production out of this outfield, right? At the end of the day, I, I'm sure internally they've got their favorites and they've got their guys that they would like to see produce, maybe one over another. And that might differ as you talk to d- different members of the front office, different members of the coaching staff. If they're all going to take truth serum and be honest, I'm sure everybody's got their guy you know, one guy's going to favor Tyler O'Neill. There's going to be Lane Thomas supporters. But I think Justin Williams has his supporters as well within this organization. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. You just got to find guys that are going to produce. Dylan Carlson's going to be locked into a starting spot. He'll play almost every day. I think even if he struggles early on, that's going to be hard uh, for Mike Schilt to, to keep his name out of the lineup because he's the one, the anointed one, right? Like he's the one that they really think can be not just a, a solid contributor, above-average player. He could potentially be special if he reaches his ceiling. And so I think he's going to get every opportunity to prove that this year. He really came on strong at the end of last year, did Dylan Carlson, after kind of a, a rocky start to his rookie campaign. And so I think they're going to give him the chance, whether it's left field or right field, they probably would like to get him into a consistent spot in the outfield. But he proved it last you know, spring training, during summer camp at Bush Stadium, He proved that he can really play any of the outfield positions, center field included. And so what I think is probably going to happen is they'll pick one of the corner spots to play him primarily, especially when Harrison Bader's in the lineup, which, folks, he's going to be. He's going to play. His defense plays. 
his athleticism plays, he's able to impact games when he's on, and it's always been a matter of, for Harrison Bader, can he consistently be on? We'll see. At this point, it may just be that he is what he is, but listen, if you look at the numbers for last season, what he was was pretty solid player. You know, pretty much average offensively, and you you bake that in with elite center field defense, and that's a valuable asset to a winning baseball team, especially when you figure that he's just now entering his first year of arbitration eligibility, so he's not making that much money relative to you know what some of these guys on the free agent market that people are clamoring for are going to make. And again, you don't want to get too caught up in, well, if he could just do this or that, because I recognize that he's been in the league and has a sample size of multiple seasons now where you've seen what Harrison Bader's been. But while there's been some really rough times and some some better times, like this past year was his career high in OPS, I do believe. Even better than the rookie season that he had. But that rookie season felt so much better because I feel like he was a little bit more consistent. He didn't go through the droughts as frequently. Maybe the numbers wouldn't back that up, and that's just you know a narrative that I'm driving without doing the proper research. But hey, this is a podcast. This is basically sports radio. So we're just going to go ahead and go with that without diving in too much. But it felt like he... As a rookie, you were going to overlook some of the things that he that he did wrong, assuming that he was going to grow from them and perhaps be able to develop into a more consistent player. We're talking about Harrison Bader. The consistency has not happened. The end-of-the-day numbers, though, aside from 2019, pretty solid. Like, solid 2018, solid 2020. But again, you have to be kind of a little bit cautious about making these bold declarations because while he had a career IOPS last year, it was in a small sample size where, and, and this is something that people on Twitter have brought up, that I don't entirely agree with with it, but they brought up the fact that on the last day of the season, he went like three for four with you know a double and a home run or something and had some a couple good games or whatever, or it might have just been one, like the very last game, number 58, had a game that really boosted his overall statistical profile for the season. And so rather than looking like a slightly below average player, he looked like a slightly above average player offensively that year because the sample size was just so low. Like in a normal September, you don't have the opportunity to have that big of a drastic swing by producing in one game on the last day of the season. But hey, you got to give him credit where he's due because that game actually happened. Whether it happens in mid-August, mid-July, end of September, it really doesn't make a difference to me because it happened and it's proof of the concept that Harrison Bader is capable at any given time of getting red hot and carrying this team. And and last year when he did it, which happened for a few different games, he did it from primarily the nine hole in the lineup. And I wrote an article a few days ago after the Arenado trade was reported, but had not been officially announced yet, had not been finalized. But I kind of did for KMOV a mock-up of what my lineup would look like. And in that lineup, I said, I'm just going to assume for now the DH is happening, even though that's currently not what would be in play if if the season started today. Still time for that to change. Doesn't sound like they're really negotiating anymore, so it probably won't. But at the time, that's kind of what my thought process was. And I had Harrison Bader listed as number nine in the Cardinals starting lineup. And if that were the case, he has the potential to be the most impactful number nine hitter in Major League Baseball. I do believe that's the case. I do believe that's true. But potential and actual, you know, there's a difference between those those two words. And a lot of Cardinals fans are tired of hearing about Harrison Bader. I just think he gets more flack than he deserves 
when you look at the end of season numbers last year, you look at what he did in 2018 and say, okay, overall, I mean, that's a productive player. I get that he was problematic offensively in 2019 to the extent that they had to send him to the minors to try to work on his swing, but he's still a young player, and the raw tools are so good that I think there's patience to be had with Harrison Bader, especially, and this is the key, when you're not asking him to lead off. You're not asking him to hit number three or to clean up. You're just asking him to go play Harrison Bader's game of baseball. And honestly, I think at the end of 162 in 2021, that can be okay. If he goes on a slump again like he did in 2019 and he doesn't hit, that might be kind of the end of the road for the idea that he can be an everyday center fielder among the best in the league. Because the Cardinals are going to want, there are going to be times, ebbs and flows throughout every season, where they're going to want consistency in production, but more importantly, consistency in plate approach. And and that's been his issue where there have been times that you just know the way the strikeout's coming. On a slider, on a curveball, in the dirt, not a hittable pitch, he's got to find the plate discipline. And if he does, he's going to elevate his game. But there has to come a point where you say, okay, if he does, if he does, when's he going to do it? And I understand that from a fan perspective. But if I'm Harrison Bader, I'm looking at what I did last year, I'm finding the things that I know i got to get a little bit more, you know, stronger with, key on a little bit harder. But the rest of your game, I mean, I feel like the bad times, we remember those a little bit more prevalently in our brains than the things that he can do with his legs, with his glove, and with his bat. So I'm not a guy who's writing Harrison Bader off by any means. And I think because the vast majority of the things I see on social media about him are negative, I kind of end up taking the 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 counter, the devil's advocate to that position. And so it sounds like I'm, you know, huge predicting a Harrison Bader All-Star season. I'm not necessarily predicting that, but it could happen. He's just gotta he's just gotta find himself. And last season was not a very ideal year in which to find yourself. And yet I still think he made strides. So I'm gonna be interested to see what he's going to do. But that was a really in-depth conversation about Harrison Bader. But the larger conversation that I want to have is Dylan Carlson, when Harrison Bader is starting, Carlson's going to be in one corner or the other, and I don't think they're going to have any reason to want to mix it up. They should probably allow him, now that you don't have a veteran like Fowler in right field, where it's like, oh, he's got to play right field, so Dylan can't. You do have O'Neill who won a gold glove as a left fielder, but I think you know, whatever whatever's going to be the comfort level for Carlson, that's maybe what they're going to go with as far as the corners are concerned. And then when Bader doesn't play, which is going to happen, or if he slumps, you could give Carlson some opportunities in center field because he's young, athletic enough to do it, and if he can do it, you might as well lean into that and test him and see what he can do because center field is defensively more valuable if you can play it at a high level than being able to play the corners. And you've got a gold glover on this team as well in O'Neill, who doesn't seem to catch the same amount of flack as Harrison Bader does, despite the fact that his batting average was below 200 last year. Um, again, small sample. I believe he was tied for the team lead with home runs and yet did not receive an at-bat in the postseason. He only played three games. But that kind of is an indication of how little you can really pay attention to the sample size because uh, of just how small it was. A guy can lead the team in home runs and still have not had a good offensive season. And Tyler O'Neill would be the first to tell you he did not have a good offensive season. Just was not consistent enough, and the strikeouts have got to come down. You've got to make more contact. But what he did defensively, 
Obviously, the metrics bore it out because they awarded him the gold glove. So you're happy to have him. Dexter, you know, his, his defense was once fine. I never thought he was too adept in right field ever since the Cardinals moved in there a couple few years ago. And he always looked a little bit more confident and comfortable in center field to me. I didn't like the way he would go to his left trying to make plays coming uh, like up against the sidewall. It just never looked it never looked quite right. In 2020, I didn't notice it as much, but certainly uh, when I was able to go to all the games in previous seasons, I was like, yeah, something about that just doesn't look quite right for Dexter playing that right field line. But now that you've got kind of younger, athletic outfielders with an opportunity and they're hungry, you could have plus defense at every outfield position. There's no question about that. If you got a left fielder in O'Neill, okay, perfect. Carlson, I think he's athletic enough to be a plus defender, no doubt about it. Bader certainly is. And Lane Thomas is the other one that we got to kind of talk about. And again, this is a conversation about the outfield in the wake of the Dexter Fowler trade. I mentioned at the beginning, I don't think Dexter Fowler maybe gets totally a fair shake from the fan base. At the end of the day, the postmortem on his contract, on his time in St. Louis, I think is going to lean more negatively from the fan base than it maybe should because he had some good years, he had some good moments. And as I mentioned before, I do wonder if his OPS at the end of the season says 775 or 780, if he never has to to leave the team, go home for two weeks without being able to do baseball activity, and then come back, not be in baseball shape, in game shape, and see your stats plummet because of it. If he just stays healthy and remains consistent off the sheet the rest of the season, does he get traded? I don't really know. Like, it's easier to look at him and say, well, he hit 230, OPS of 706. We've got these younger outfielders. We got to, you know, we got to get these guys some opportunity and, and find out what they're about, if they're going to be able to hang or not. We got to find out. So let's let's deal Fowler. We'll eat most of the salary just to clear space. Would they be saying that if his OPS was 780 like it had been before the IL stint and, you know, would have led the, the outfield group would have been even better than Harrison Bader, which is what Dexter Fowler was at the time? I don't know, but I think despite the fact that I, I think Fowler was better in 2020 than the numbers showed, and despite the fact that I think he could still be a fine, capable major league outfielder, you got to look at the fact that as a team, offensively, the Cardinals have not had the production that they've needed. And when you look at, and that's true over the last two seasons, you could even go back further than that, but certainly in the last two years, offensively, it just has not been what they'd hoped. And if you look at where the possible areas for improvement are, not saying these are guarantees, you know, Justin Williams is not a lock to be able to be an above average major league player. Neither is Lane Thomas. Tyler O'Neill may be a better chance because we've seen defensively what he can do and we know the raw power is there, but he's not a lock either. Harrison Bader has done it before, but he's also not done it before, and so he's not a lock. And Dylan Carlson feels like as close of a lock as the Cardinals have in their outfield right now, but we still haven't seen it over the course of a a Major League season to know for sure. So there are a lot of guys who you can say have upside. Not sure what the downside is, but with Dexter Fowler, I feel like you had an idea of what the upside was, and it was relatively limited compared to what some of these other guys are. That doesn't mean they're going to have better seasons than Fowler in 2021. We don't know what his role is going to be. Not 100% sure how the roles, of course, in the St. Louis outfield are going to shake out. But I think when you're making an argument for upside, all five of the Cardinals outfielders that we're looking at 
might have higher upside than Dexter Fowler over the course of a season. Maybe not, you know, Lane Thomas, maybe not Justin Williams, but I think I could make an argument for each of them if I really was compelled to do it over Dexter on an upside standard. As far as a floor, I think Dexter has one of the higher floors of that group. Because once he rebounded for 2018, which was a mess for a lot of reasons, and he was injured, you know, he had injuries that he was dealing with. So once he rebounded from that, to be a 754 OPS, and then last year, 780, 770 before the the IL situation came to be, I think that's kind of the player that he is at this point. And that's okay. Like Like we talked about, he was league average. You can live with that. But in a Cardinals lineup, you really can't live with that if you're trying to make these drastic leaps and bounds and improvements. You're okay chasing upside, especially once you've got Nolan Arenado because you expect, okay, not only is Nolan Arenado upside, but we also feel like he is a floor of being a multiple wins above replacement kind of player. And now we're cooking with something. Let's really lean into changing the dynamic of this team a little bit with upside in the outfield. And I think... It was going to be a difficult thing for Mike Schilt to be able to lean into that if Dexter wasn't performing because of the veteran presence and the nature of his experience in Major League Baseball. As a manager, that's a hard thing to manage around. And I understand from a fan perspective, you would say, hey, best players got to play. And there, there are times that that becomes absolutely true. But when you have this many outfielders for the Cardinals and one of them's making $18.5 million, the other five are making nothing, you have to kind of that weighs on a manager. From an interpersonal standpoint, it's a lot easier to make out the lineup on Twitter without Dexter Fowler in it than him being the starter for you know a month of the season and then suddenly he's not playing as much anymore and he's going to come to your office and, and ask you why. And for a guy like that, you know, certainly you can ask why. And if you're Mike Schilt, yeah, you say, well, you're not performing as much and we got to give a look to these other guys. Rather than go through the possibility of that happening, They traded him to somewhere that he wanted to go, a place that wanted to have him, and I think it's going to work out for the best for everybody involved. And I hope Dexter does, you know, gets a chance to play out there. Obviously going to be competing with Mike Trout for time in center field. Um, It's going to be a really good position battle in spring training between those two, obviously. But, um, you know, hopefully best things can happen for Fowler in 2021. I think that even though my reaction, if I'm being intellectually honest with myself, my reaction to this trade might be a little bit more negative if, if Fowler hadn't had that aisle stint and he did have a 780 OPS like he did before leaving the team for a couple of weeks last summer. Because then I'd be looking at it and saying, hey, you just gave away a guy with a 780 OPS for nothing and all because you want to rely on these guys who aren't proven. So it's really interesting how we we frame a conversation we think of Fowler and look at his numbers that quick, and just like that, we, we, we kind of write it off and say, well, his numbers weren't that good. Of course, they want to go with the upside. But he was really close, and, and like all the cards were there for him having a nice offensive season to be able to, on the back of his baseball card for all of eternity, look at 2020 and say, hey, that was a good year for Dexter Fowler. It doesn't say that now. I think that made it a little bit easier for the Cardinals to trade him. I don't think it makes a lot of sense to be making decisions based on such a small sample size. And yet, I think the decision's going to work out. So it's kind of an interesting way you have to do some mental gymnastics with yourself. And maybe as a fan, you don't go through that exact same process that I'm going through. Maybe your process is different 
for the way you view this kind of deal. But that's just, I, I like to go on the podcast here and talk about, all right, here's what I think. Here's what my process is for the way this looks. But then I also like to step back and say, you know, if Fowler had had the season he was having and didn't have that 10 days at the end that were no good, totally rotten, this might be a different conversation. But it is what it is at this point. I think the Cardinals do have the players in this outfield to, to be able to put something together, and they're chasing the upside. And you know what? If by the end of this year it's not a thing, now you're not locked into anybody. You're not locked into any contracts. None of them have one. Bader's making like $2 million this year. First year are eligible. If you have to, if Bader really doesn't look like the answer, you can non-tender him after the season. Like if he has just a terrible year worse than 2019, okay, non-tender him. You're not locked into any money on anybody, which I think is going to open the door for a legitimately level competition among these five outfielders, unless they sign someone, and then we'll have a conversation about that. But the Fowler trade opens the door for a legitimate competition among the five, with the exception being, as I mentioned, I think Dylan Carlson has an automatic leg up based on you know top prospect status. Whether Bader gets much of a leg up or not, it'll be interesting to see but those are the kind of things that I think are going to be one of the story of the Cardinals season because you do have five outfielders that if, if anybody listed me, they're, they're three favorites. As long as they included Dylan Carlson in one of those spots, I'd say, yeah, you know, I don't really have any major arguments against that. And it's not outside the realm of possibility that Carlson is just a solid player and one of these guys like Lane Thomas ends up emerging and being better than solid. You know, it's not a guarantee. Nothing's a guarantee in this game. We have our views about prospects. We have our views about players. But you have to be willing to adapt those views over time based on what happens in the games. And speaking of being able to adapt views over time, as I did just now, right before this, I had to pause the podcast and go back and say, hey, I know I'm at 33 minutes right now, so I'm about to wrap things up. But I know I said earlier that I was going to come back to something. And I asked you to remind me, and you didn't do it, so shame on you. But I had to listen back to remember what the hell I said I was going to talk about. And it was, I was going to go on record about Marcelo Zuna. I know we spent this entire podcast talking about the Cardinals outfield as it is currently constructed. If you look at Twitter, a lot of people think that the Fowler move signifies the Cardinals are about to add an outfielder. While I think it's possible that they could do it via trade, if they were to trade out an outfielder they currently have and get one that they like better, That's a, I mean, that would be a possibility. I don't know who's really available. Joey Gallo would be really, really fun, in my opinion. But that's not something that I'm saying is likely or I think is going to happen or there, there have even been rumblings about. It would just be really freaking fun. But I don't think that's necessarily the case, that it's going to come into fruition. But while I initially tweeted after the Fowler deal that four is fewer than five, and the Cardinals have gone from four outfielders, or pardon me, from five outfielders to four outfielders by moving Fowler, technically that was kind of ignoring Justin Williams. And as I thought about it a little bit more, I thought, well, I do think if he's on the 40-man roster, they, they're they going to either let him get some run or they're not. Like it's going to happen or it isn't. And this might be the year where they finally say, especially in spring training, which maybe they can settle it out before spring is over and make their determination about the kind of player they think Williams is going to be. But he's probably going to get some chances during the season. And so the, though I tweeted yesterday, I said, you know, I could see an outfielder being signed now by the Cardinals after you traded Fowler. I didn't see it before then. Now it's a little bit more possible. The more I think on that, I don't think it's super likely that they sign somebody. But the record on which I'm going, 
going to pin me pin myself down right here. The Cardinals are not signing Marcelo Zuna. It's not going to happen. There is absolutely no way. And this is not based on any inside knowledge. It's not based on any tip that I received. It's not. There's nothing like that. It's having been around the team when Ozuna was on it and having followed and tracked the situation last offseason when the Cardinals offered him the QO, the qualifying offer, he immediately declined it because he assumed he was getting a bigger deal in free agency, multi-year contract. The, the market did not materialize for him, probably because people were a little bit leery of the kind of down years he had with the Cardinals because he had two years where he was slightly above average, but compared to what he was in Miami, he was not the same player as he was the year before the Cardinals acquired him. And so teams were maybe a little bit worried about that. The market is what it is right now for free agency. We've seen this with lots of guys over the years, especially the last two, three, four, five years. It's just the way that things have gone. But having watched that situation unfold, where the Cardinals did not give Ozuna another offer for even a one-year deal, nothing. They didn't offer him. They didn't, anytime the contact was happening between the Cardinals and his agent, nothing was going on. It was clear as day that the Cardinals had no interest in bringing back Ozuna. Right or wrong, whether you think that's good or bad, it is what it is. They, I, I, I firmly believe that. There's just no way they were even considering it. Once he declined the QO, they said, oh, thank goodness, we're getting a draft pick. We're off the hook. Like, seriously, I think that's how they felt. And you can look at his numbers in 2020 with the Braves and say, well, the egg is on their face because he would have been great for the Cardinals. No, I still don't agree with that. I don't think that Ozuna would have had even close to the 2020 that he had in Atlanta if he had stayed with St. Louis. I don't think there's any way. That's just my own personal belief on the situation. And so call me biased. You know, it's not that I'm biased against Ozuna. I'm just biased against the idea that Ozuna is going to reunite with the Cardinals. I just don't see the interest being there. Now, the Cardinals could look at what he did in 2020 and say, oh, now we want him again. But I don't think they're going to make that move. And I was going to use the word mistake. I was going to say, I don't think they're going to make that mistake. But that's not fair to say it would be a mistake. But I do think the way it would play out is we'd be looking at it as a mistake after it was all said and done. Because it's a different ballpark. You know, when he went to Atlanta, I said, that's a great landing spot. He's going to be great. And guess what? He was great. 18 home runs led the National League, if I'm not mistaken. His RBIs, I think, were also most in the National League. He was fantastic. He was a perfect fit, and the Braves should honestly re-sign him to a multi-year deal if they can. Rather than sign him for you know a one-year deal at $18 million or whatever, try to get him for three or four, lower the AAV, the average annual value, a little bit if you can, and I think he'd be a great fit there long-term. I just don't think the fit necessarily is as good with the Cardinals. That being said, even if he's just a 105 or 110 OPS plus guy, which a little bit above average, that would be great. For the Cardinals cleanup hitter, you know, I'm not trying to say he wouldn't work out here. I just am saying he's not going to come back here. Whether it's his choice, whether it's the Cardinals' choice, or whether it's a combination of the two, while the the rumors are flying around, I haven't seen anything reputable, and I just don't buy it. And if I'm wrong, I'll be on the podcast on a future episode. You can find me. Like, I'm I'm here. I'm going to be here. I'm all over Twitter. I'm not hiding from anything. I'll say, hey... I got that one wrong. I went out on a limb and I blew it. It's not like I'm reporting something and I was wrong. It's I'm I'm sharing an opinion that there's no way Ozuna's coming to the Cardinals. 
I just don't see it happening. So partially that's me thinking about, okay, Justin Williams, yeah, maybe I was I kind of undersold him last night when I thought about the Cardinals dabbling in the free agent market. Maybe they're not going to do that. And people have thrown out names like Jackie Bradley, Brett Gardner. I don't think the Cardinals are really needing these kinds of guys. I don't I don't think unless you're getting a, a, a guy who you know is a locked-in, consistent player, I don't think the Cardinals want these guys that, well, they've had good years, but they've also had some bad ones, and they're defense first, and the Cardinals aren't interested in that. So while I think the profile of a Marcelo Zuna-type player, a guy who just slugs and you don't really care that much about defense, especially if you're signing somebody to a multi-year contract because you know the DH is coming in 2022 if it's not here this year, I just don't see the Cardinals actually signing Marcelo Zuna. They could sign somebody like Marcelo Zuna, but then again, like I mentioned with Justin Williams, with all these outfielders, I, I'm leaning toward they probably won't be signing an outfielder unless they move another one. Like they probably, when they say, hey, we're dealing Fowler to look at the internal options, I think they mean, hey, we're dealing Fowler to look at the internal options. And so it could be interesting. You could see one of the guys dealt at the trade deadline, depending on what the needs of the team are at the time, depending on what is working and what's not working within that outfield. But I just wanted to go on record before I ended the show and say, Marcelo Zuna's not coming to the Cardinals. I am making fun of you on Twitter if you think it's going to happen, which is kind of rude of me. But, you know, I'm just having fun with this. I like to go out on a limb every once in a while. And with just a purely opinion-based take, I just don't see it. So... If you're an NL team, though, you should sign Ozuna to a multi-year deal because he'd be a great de- uh, designated hitter, but you just may not get him quite yet. If you get him for a multi-year deal, great. If you're thinking he's going to be the DH this year, you're really gambling on the players' union and MLB being able to come to an agreement before the season begins, which who knows if that's even something they're exploring anymore. According to what the press releases have stated, it's not, but like I said, anything seems possible with that situation. But anyway, that's kind of what I have for the day. Wanted to go on record about Ozuna. Wanted to talk about the Dexter Fowler situation. Wish Dexter Fowler well with the Los Angeles Angels. Teammates with Trout. Teammates with Albert Pujols. Back with his old manager, Joe Madden. Think it's a good fit for him. Think it's a good fit for the Cardinals. Even if it is kind of a, a weird thing to, to give away a player. And to really not get anything in return other than $1.75 million. Like, I complained in the past when they did that with Matt Adams. I complained when they did it with Jed Jerko. Uh, ultimately, though, you know, were those players at the peaks of their career anymore? Well, you can make the argument that Jed Jerko I was right about because he went with Milwaukee last year and was their first baseman, and he was really good. But you just sometimes don't like to see teams giving away guys for nothing. But in this case, while I do think it would have been a different conversation had Fowler just finished with the numbers that he had as of – where he was before those last 10 games that he played or whatever it was. Could it have been a different conversation in that case? Sure, and I probably would have had a different demeanor about the whole thing. But at the end of the day, if we're being honest, I do think that this is something that can work for the Cardinals. You want to see production out of the outfield. You're going to shoot for that upside. Even if it doesn't pan out at every, you know, all three outfield positions, you do have Nolan Arenado. He should be able to pick up some of the slack. I do like the way the Cardinals lineup is trending. And by moving Fowler, they, they they cleared things up a little bit more to say, hey, this isn't, well, we got to play the veteran. That's not going to be a thing this year for the Cardinals outfield. It's going to be produce or you're probably sitting the bench. So 
I think that's a, a healthy thing, the fact that all of these outfielders are mostly on an even plane. I think it could be good, could be healthy for the group, for the team, and for the Cardinals' hopes to potentially not only get back to the postseason, but I think this is a year they want to make a little bit more noise and try to upend some of these juggernauts like the Dodgers who just signed Trevor Bauer. Might be able to talk about that a little bit tomorrow. Uh, and like the Padres, it's going to be an interesting season, interesting to see the way the NL is shaking out. We're going to talk to you tomorrow. I don't know exactly what about yet. Could maybe have the Cardinals make another move uh, Friday night. Would be very helpful toward that end. But if they don't, we'll find something to talk about at some point on Saturday. So appreciate you guys for joining me. Make sure to subscribe to the show. You can do it at Spotify. You can do it at Apple Podcasts. You can do it at Google Podcasts. You can do it anywhere you find your podcast. Just type in Be Shafe Daily. It's B with a dash, S-C-H-A-E-F-F Daily. That's the name of the show. Appreciate you guys for listening. Until next time, this has been another edition of Be Shafe Daily.